Gigapod is a podcast where we interview companies building exciting and economically sustainable business models in the gig, circular, and sharing economies. Make sure to subscribe and to find out more, go to gigapay.co forward slash gigapod. Welcome to Gigapod. Today I am joined by Matilda Hannes, who is the CEO and founder of Skillbreak. Welcome, Matilda. How are you? Hi, Raya. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really good today. Oh, that's great. So, Matilda, I've been following you for a little bit, and I've also been lucky to participate on one of your workshops that you've had on Skill Break, um, the perfume workshop, which I loved. So I'm a big fan of what you guys have enabled, and I really yeah. just want to, yeah, yeah, and I want to hear more about you. So why don't we start off with that? Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you've been doing up until this point? Yes. So I come from a craftsy family. So my father is a sculptor and my mother is a ceramic artist. So I grew up in a hippie family. <laughs> but I, I studied technology and I have a master's in both business and in system engineering. So when I finished studying, after studying abroad a couple of years as well, I I went directly to Microsoft to work for them and followed by a number of other tech companies. And last, before I started Skill Break, I was working at Spotify, the product marketing director. Yeah, cool. And you've also been, you're also active as a board member right now. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit, because I'm, I'm quite curious, going from like a company like Microsoft and also Spotify recently, and now also being working on various boards, what sort of learnings do you take with you from that to being now being an entrepreneur? Mm, I think they go really hand in hand. I mean, I've always seen myself on a learning journey. That is really what motivates me. So I've seen everything I try to take on when I take on new talks is from a learning perspective. So being a board member, it's the same thing. I as taking on board engagements that can be beneficial to the of course, where I can be of value, but I also learn so much from it, yeah. from other startups. So I think that's a very fascinating combination to have both like the corporate world, other startups, advising other startups, but also being able to run your own business. That it's the best combo. <laughs> that is fantastic. So uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for Skillbreak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Skillbreak is a platform for artistic experiences. And as I said, I have that crafty background. And I used to invite my friends over to my family's studios. And I realized that that was an epiphany moment for them to have that access to almost like a world that they, they normally wouldn't enter or get access to. But at the same time, I was also thinking about the way how hard many artists and craftsmen work and helping them to do more of what they love and make more money on it. That really made me think of how how we could create a platform to enable that access and connect those dots between people who want to continue to learn and get those aha moments and experiences with people who are truly skilled at what they do. And yeah, as I am super curious by nature and super motivated by learning new things, I think this was the chance that I've been 
scouting for all my career. Mm. I have been truly fulfilled in my positions. And and this was rather like the I felt that when this idea came to me, I just felt it was completely right and I, and that I had to do it. <laughs> I don't oh. know if you've heard the Elizabeth Gilbert or if you've read her book, Big Magic, but I yeah. I totally agree with her that ideas you know, they, they're out there in the universe and they're looking for their parents. Mm-hmm. And this idea kind of found me. No, oh, that's fantastic. And I, I think it's like a bit just thinking about with ideas. There's one thing, of course, having an idea, but then able, being like in your in your case, almost working for years on skill break now. I mean, you can have amazing ideas, but if you don't execute on it, then you know, it's just a great idea in itself. So how have you been able to, like, I'm really curious on how you've been able to find the artists that you that you engage through the platform and how you find your users as well. How has that mm-hmm. journey, journey been? Yeah, so it is a tough job. That is nothing, I don't want to glorify it in any sense. Like running and building a a marketplace platform is, is a tough job. It's an execution game and you have to almost match users and suppliers hand by hand or by hand in the beginning and handcraft that experience. And I think that you have to be super stubborn and resilient <laughs> to do it. And yeah, I would love to get more into to that that area because I love to talk about that what you what you do when you when you don't optimize things when you're actually just building it by hand and Mm. many people think that a marketplace something that runs automatically but it absolutely doesn't no (laughs) and it takes years and years for it to do that yeah I can I can only imagine especially since you're working in an area where it's very like you say there's a lot of epiphanies that can be involved Mm and the that you facilitate through your platform so to do that you can't no matter how good would you say automation is it's still not going to really facilitate that I guess unless you find the right people or the right suppliers on your platform um yeah no it's it's totally true and and I think that run like compared to like I think it's highly creative work to run a mm. business and constantly mm. solve these problems and solve for the problems that are on both sides of the marketplace mm. um, yeah, so yeah, so getting back to that question on how, how to recruit them, I think from the beginning it was basically handpicking the suppliers mm-hmm. and guide them on building their profiles and how to run their, their workshops successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're starting to see that it actually, <laughs> they are recommending others, they're endorsing other suppliers, other experts, and and we really see that they also benefit from meeting their their fans they sell more products they build their brand and Mm. yeah I really think that it's part of super cool viral of skill sharing it's our century's way of building brands I think Mm -hmm. I love that and to tell us a little bit about your business model so how do you operate and also what how do you see skill break playing within the platform economy but looking more specifically on the gig and maybe the experience side as well Mm, yeah so we're building a platform for creators but the platform could actually be used for any type of skill sharing so Mm -hmm. we take a percentage of the price that they the suppliers set themselves they're responsible for the content and the experience and the pricing Mm -hmm. but i would i would almost rather i like the 
the term uh, passion economy or creative economy mm. for this. Because, I mean, we have been talking about the creative economy for a long time, looking at the influencer economy and and YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest. But some of these economics for these creators have been broken, especially if you're a smaller creator. So you mm. have to have a lot of fans on YouTube to make a living on it. I think the average salary of a YouTuber is 57000 or something a year if you have a million subscribers. But that's quite a lot. You have to be. You have to work hard for that. So I think mm. in the passion economy, rather people, and not only tutors, they're leveraging their individuality, their interests and mm. passion. And mm. you don't necessarily need a million of followers to succeed. It could be enough with a thousand loyal fans. Mm. Mm. And I think that's the difference. And I, I, I love to talk about that <laughs> when I see because yeah, it's but, really like a lot of our suppliers are like they are just that they are not tutors they are people with a passion that are extremely good at what they do mm-hmm. and is it often just looking at your suppliers are they is this usually a full-time job for them or is this something that they often do alongside something else so we see both from the beginning it was mostly people with a full-time job as an artist or, or a craftsman but now I think we're opening up, and, and you know this, part of the gig economy, that we more and more people are doing and want to have this type of life where they are having one or two occupations on the side that are driven by, by passion or interest. So we see that more and more people coming to our platform having it as a second profession or a side job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um and then if we just look specifically at Skill Break and when you started the your journey four years ago, almost four years ago, how have you seen the business business change during that time? It means your your sort of the thesis that you had changed or developed of how you saw the the landscape develop or the challenges that you thought that you would face? Um, mm. How has everything sort of played out? Yeah, it's a long time. The platform is definitely more sophisticated. We have more providers and users, but we are essentially doing the same thing, like connecting people with passion, a skill, with people who want to learn what they do and experience a unique setting, a unique environment. But I think what's been the biggest challenge is really like working out that magic balance between supply and demand. And as I mentioned before, it's almost by handcrafting and matchmaking case by case mm. uh, from the start. Now it's starting to happen more and more of itself. And mm. as we're getting more and more organic traffic from both sides in the in the model, like 70 to 80% of our traffic is direct. So people okay. recommending others. Yeah. Mm. Which is really, a really, really good. Mm-hmm indicator of the product market fit I think Mm -hmm. but I do see that more and more services are popping up within the gig economy so yes you know that is growing I think in two years the estimation is that half of all Americans will have part-time gigs I don't know if that's going to be reality in Sweden too but I I I believe so Um, Mm -hmm. and I also think that people are more and more craving on the user side, we are craving 
experiences. Um, mm. People are collecting stories and experiences over material things. Um, mm-hmm. And that is the trend that's growing even stronger now when we're not traveling as much. Um, yeah. And so spending our money on meaningful experiences and connecting with others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a huge yeah. trend. Yeah. I can really see that you, especially if we look at the younger generation, they put even more emphasis, as you say, on the actual experience rather than owning things as much as maybe ourselves or the ones who are are slightly older than ourselves so I mean like owning an apartment owning a car or whatever is no longer important as maybe having something that you can talk about and maybe develop a skill on which I think skill break does in a very smart Mm. and interesting interesting way as well so if we just talk a little bit more, because you, you were talking about the, the passion economy and that passion economy also fits quite well with the gig economy, although gig economy is often, unfortunately, has been a lot about like supply and demand, but not so much looking at the actual, the people behind those stories. How have you, if we just sort of focus a little bit on that landscape, how have you sort of seen that develop in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. 2010 was the rise of the influencer economy and YouTube has been around for 15 years. So it's been mm-hmm. there. But I think what we're seeing now, as I said before also, is, is that it's more individuality and we're seeing smaller influencers, micro-influencers and creators who can who can have not only one job or two jobs, but three jobs on the side and having skill and sharing that skill is a way of branding yourself the way Mm -hmm. of building your brand and it's very fulfilling also to be able to be a person who is generous enough to to share your skills Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that is something very interesting about about the passion economy it starts off with making wanting to make money off what you what you know or, or your skills but going on a taking the second step on the ladder is almost always like that insight of how how rewarding it is to mm. to share with others and to see that mm. spark in their eyes when they experience something that you are totally nerdy about something that mm. you have that you have spent a lot of your time that you've spent a lot of your time on refining that could be organizing your home or becoming a self-sufficient growing plants or making mm. Italian gelato, like whatever it is, I think there's something extremely powerful in connecting with others in real time or live to see how that learning can pass on from, from one human to another. Mm. Mm. This is beautiful. And on the same thread, do you have, Matilda, any story, like a success story, perhaps about one of the your workshop hosts or providers that have done something amazing and, yeah, is there anything that's sort of a special story that that pops out to you? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> I think our <laughs> our like the skill break platform is so full of amazing stories of people who have changed their lives or changed direction or or so there's everything from from artists who are struggling to make to work full time on their with their profession. Mm-hmm. Holding classes can be a way to still do what you love, but earning enough to just completely immerse in your in your passion like one of our first ceramic artists Erica 
young, striving artist. I found her on Instagram as I really liked her art and asked if she mm-hmm. could teach. But she was really reluctant since she tried running workshops and she was like, I such an administrative task mm-hmm. and I can't handle it. But we organized everything for her and after a few sessions she was totally convinced that she's been running for three years now or three and a half. She's been running full workshops like two, three a month. And oh, wow. um mm-hmm. it's really helping her in her in her business mm-hmm. as a ceramic artist. And she does this for a living now. Oh, that's great. So you've yeah. helped facilitate her sort of to take the jump to be able to become sustainable for her to have some sort of sustainable economy so she can actually focus on this full time. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think that's also really, really cool that we're creating all these new job opportunities for people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's great. And I think even now with COVID and then you look at the high unemployment rates as well, you will see that probably more people will be having to lean on other skills that they didn't have previously, hopefully yeah, in a positive yeah. <laughs> in a positive way. So it will be interesting to see how the sort of the future of work will be affected. Mm. Have you had any learnings yourself with the COVID nineteen and how it's impacted skill break? Yeah, of course it impacted. I mean everyone mm. and these these are live sessions that are online. And mm-hmm. you just like in a normal workshop, you would interact with the workshop leader and the other people in the group. You do it, but you do it mm-hmm. over video. So it's not mm-hmm. recorded. It, it's happening live and it's a totally interactive session where you have a chat and ability to team up with other people that join the workshop. And we're really trying to build the community around that. So we're making something more of it rather than just having even more of that social distancing that we don't want to see with mm-hmm. screens right now. So we're trying to take this opportunity to actually get people to connect more. Yeah, that's that's great. And I'm just reflecting myself on how it is with working remotely. And that's one thing, because you, you kind of you miss this social interaction that you get when, when you're in the office. So even something like doing a skill break workshop with my colleagues remotely would be something that would be fantastic. And I'm sure that other people would feel the same way because you're still sort of learning and doing something fun that's not work-related together. Totally, totally. It's the perfect thing right now, I think, for for companies or teams that want to connect in new ways. So doing the live session with us. But it's also a way to top up your own skills and to be ahead of your game and doing something that's just nearly what you do if you're an architect or if you're working on a create in a creative agency you might want to do something that's just slightly challenging you mm-hmm. to to learn a new skill within a totally separate domain but still something that could be relevant for you mm-hmm. that's, that's great and I know Matilda that you've hired quite a few people now um, mm-hmm. so to tell us a bit about the people that you've got on the team and more also about growth because you've spoken a little Mm -hmm. bit about that you get 70 to 80 percent direct uh, traffic which is amazing but but for you like what does growth mean from like employee perspective and also from like a business perspective as as well and and how are you going about achieving this yes it's one of my favorite topics (laughs) for me it means continuous learning and the growth and testing must be in the dna of a startup company 
And I think every single person in the company has to have a growth mindset. And if you don't have that, you're not in the right place. Mm -hmm. So also everyone has to be super self-motivated and know how to prioritize their time. I think the very toughest job in a startup is to prioritize what to invest your time in, especially Mm -hmm. in a a marketplace startup where there are just indefinite number of things to do always and nothing Mm -hmm. is by itself. So there's constantly new tasks that could keep you busy, but you have to choose the right hypothesis and the ones that are creating value and impact and a value at that versus how simple it is to do it and how much you can learn. Mm-hmm. So always, always doing that prioritization. How do I, how much can I learn by testing this now? And how long does it take to develop a routine or piece of code to automate this? Mm-hmm. And, and I really think that yeah, the art of the art of maximizing the amount of work not done is really <laughs> what you should mm-hmm. focus on, simplicity. And from a team perspective, I think, and culture perspective, I think you have to develop that culture of, of high tempo testing with every single role in the company. Mm-hmm. And you have to find um, your North Star, your most important goal, and, and get everyone behind it. For us, it's bookings, uh, Mm. because that drives everything else. And I also think you have to be sort of a best-driven organization, making high-level beliefs and bold bets in order to be at the forefront. Mm. So truly excel at insight generation from idea to test results and do that in a structured and but still creative manner. Mm. And how do you... Because this this part I I think is I love it and there's so many different ways of how you go about doing that. So do you have like a special framework that you've developed over time that works for you, or how do you kind of structure this process of optimizing and making sure that people have that that they feel responsible and ownership for what they're developing and doing for skill break? Yeah. So anyone. I think it's important that anyone in the organization can initiate a bet and that anyone can formulate this hypothesis and it's free to, to argue for for that hypothesis. And mm-hmm. um, so that goes into, we usually work with a spreadsheet of like impact versus time it takes to, to learn. Mm-hmm. So that would be the most simple way to prioritize but then of course you can find a number of parameters <laughs> to mm. to develop that to develop that prioritization scheme but what's most mm. important i think is that to yeah to to make sure that the the person who initiates the bet has the ownership feel that they are truly behind it and responsible for it mm. Mm. sounds that sounds really good I think it. I think it's a lot of things that, especially startups, you know, you, you you struggle with in the beginning. So, I would of course love to hear more about that, but I will ask you another time. And now, if I have my last question, so mm-hmm. and this is looking specifically marketplace or platform businesses. What are your top three tips based upon the last four years that you have had now with your experience? So, what's your top three tips for those businesses? especially now during these challenging times? Yeah, so top three tips for running a marketplace. Big question. I think, first of all, scale is not the most important thing. 
at an early stage. So my mm-hmm. best advice would be to automate, automate less in the beginning. And especially in times like these, getting to know your customers on both sides and really feel their pain. And also feel the pain yourself of doing the same thing over and over again until you're sick of it and learn how to, to excel at it. Then mm-hmm. you build the feature. So that's, that's from a pro- product perspective. But it's also connected to the importance of user empathy, I think. So when you truly do the job of trying to understand your users and you can articulate the user value and like really run it with your users and try it on them a number of times and from different perspectives. Mm. So setting it aside time to connect with them and get to know them and care. Mm. And making it worthwhile to stay with you when the market turns. Because I think right now, if you if you can find ways that that makes you special to these customers, both providers and users, they're going to stay with you when the market turns as well. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And the last bit would probably be to build community. And to do that, yeah, fun thing would be to, to relish the random, find interesting reviews and highlight them, find quotes from your users where they're expressing their love for the product. Mm-hmm. Staying close to your fans and like sharing their stories, their recipes, their dreams. Yeah, really finding ways to connect and become meaningful to them. Hmm. And sharing that in your communication with the rest of the crowd. I think that's a really valuable insight for us building the product. Hmm. Those are all great. And I, I love it. And I can really hear from... The, the tips that you've chosen, that it is it seems to be a lot of curiosity and passion that is driving you, if that's hopefully that's not misplaced when I say that, but it seems like you've really you're really building something that you really believe in and I think that's fantastic and you're also enabling others to maybe make a shift from what was before maybe a hobby or something they didn't even think was possible to do. And now they're actually able to do it thanks to the work that you guys are doing at Skill Break. So congratulations to you, Matilda, for what you're doing. Thank you, Raya. That's kind of you. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your busy calendar. I really appreciated it. And I just really wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you, Raya. The same to you. Make sure to subscribe. And to find out more, go to gigapay.com co forward slash gigapod.